Welcome to the Amaze Podcast. Amaze creates free educational videos and resources to help families talk openly, honestly, and less awkwardly about sex, health, relationships, and growing up. Our goal is to help you become an askable parent so your kids trust that you're their go-to for honest, non-judgmental information. In today's episode, I chat with the amazing Catherine McLaughlin, a sexuality educator focused on the disabilities community. Catherine and I talk about how it's crucial for parents to be open and honest in teaching young people about their bodies, sexuality, and self-advocacy, what it was like for Catherine to advise on the Amazed Disability and Sexuality video, and more. Let's have a listen. I'm so thrilled to welcome Catherine McLaughlin to the broadcast today. Hi, Catherine. Hi, it's great to be here. I would just love for you to share a little bit about your background and your history, which is just so interesting, um, and your path you know, to becoming a sexuality educator. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Uh, my work really started uh, when I worked for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. I was in, um, in New Hampshire. And um, I became a, I first worked in the health center, but then became an educator and a professional trainer. So that's really how it all started. And then um, people started reaching out around sexuality and disability. And, um, you know, special educators would reach out or someone from the developmental disability agency and saying, we really need help addressing this issue. So I started to provide professional trainings and sexuality education classes. That's really how that, that started. Um, and I also did some work with Green Mountain Self-Advocates. So um, it's a group of people with disabilities in Vermont. And we worked on a project together creating a sexuality education curriculum. And I think what was really um, those aha moments for me were um, this assumption that I was going to write the curriculum and create it and be the teacher. And Green Mountain Self-Advocates were, was like, well, we want to help write it. and <laughs> We want to help teach it. Um, so I was learning a lot about what is self-advocacy as well. Um, and and I, you may have heard this before, nothing about us without us is a, is a saying that many self-advocates use. And so we created this curriculum um, in 2006, I believe it was. And from then on, I've been doing trainings around it and I revised it recently and that's kind of the main, you know, the main thing is this curriculum, um, but also doing work around helping other people become sexuality educators for this population, too. So I have a three-day training that I do, and I also have a training that I'm doing in Michigan, which is self-advocates and professional teams teaching the curriculum. So um, doing lots of work, and it just, yeah. Yeah. And and how do you mind sharing like how this became your your kind of your specialty? Right. Because when you started at Planned Parenthood, I imagine um, I, like actually I one of my the things I love about Planned Parenthood is way back when I first became a parent, I went to one of the home talks. I don't know if those were things that you did, but, um, you know, there's always a, a journey with that. So I'd love for you to look, share a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you know, I think one piece was sort of more personal along the journey as well cord injury and so I started using a wheelchair about a year into being an educator so you know now I was part of this community as well so I think that's a piece of the puzzle um, for me and maybe others may have been approached and didn't quite know how to respond um, and so I I you know was very interested in the topic personally and professionally so I think mm-hmm. that was, that was a big piece of it yeah. yeah. 
Well, let's get to, um, so, you know, you were served as an educational advisor on um, a video that was kind of first of its kind in the AMA's collection of videos. It was called Disability and Sexuality. And the response was like tremendous. It was really wonderful to see, you know, so many people, it filling a need for so many people. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about the video and your work and what it must take to serve in that role of advising, I was thinking, man, how do you distill like the information that you want to share in a three to four minute video? So I was wondering about, you know, what were the key in your mind when you were working on that project? What were the key concepts that you were like, okay, we just, there are a couple things we really need to get across. Like what were those things? Yeah. Um, I, I would say that there's probably three things. One is, you know, people with disabilities want the same thing that other people want as well, you know. Um, and I think just kind of trying to dispel, dispel a lot of myths. So I think one of the examples was seeing the, the um, storyboards and seeing the wheelchair had handles on it. And I thought, you know, this, you know that sort of implies that he's going to be pushed by somebody. Mm. Um, and so little sort of subtle kinds of stereotypes, like people with disabilities are dependent, they need help, that whole thing. And I wanted him to seem more independent um, too. So in just, you know, removing handles changes people's, you know, perception of people with disabilities. So I have a chair with no handles and people will say, why don't you have it? I say, because I don't want you to push me around. Right. <laughs> I don't want to give you any ideas, you know? Um, so I think it's very subtle, but it, it you know, that was another point that I, I wanted to make. And then the last point, I just want to think, oh, it's to sort of not be afraid of the word disability. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of the terminology that's used uh, is oftentimes euphemisms for disability, like differently abled or physically challenged. And, you know, most people in the disability community don't like those. They don't feel like that fits with them and that it's okay to have a disability and say the word. So. Mm-hmm. Those those three ideas were were kind of the the ones I really wanted to get across. I think that's wonderful, and I'm I'm glad you make that point because I think that you know a lot of times, and I I find this also with the gender identity kind of work that we do that a lot of people are just um, they shy away from a conversation because they're worried about making a mistake, and I think that you know that's it's this kind of catch twenty two situation which is really really challenging. So um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, we did get, there was one, you know, bit of feedback that was a little bit of pushback to the video um, that I was, I was curious to get your weigh in on. And um, this viewer wrote, while I applaud your intention, I question your assertion that all people are sexual beings. Mm -hmm. I have a child who is neurodivergent and asexual, and I know other asexual people as well. I think the language you could, you used could unintentionally, unintentionally lead asexual people to believe something is wrong with them. So I'd be curious about, you know, what your thoughts are, of course, like we're all about, you know, an inclusive mindset, but, you know, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, I think language is a really interesting thing right now. Um, and like you said, it, it's, it's in some ways help making people feel um, nervous about speaking up or asking a question or, um, so I think that's, that's one piece of it. I also think that we, uh, we're learning a lot more in the field of sexuality about asexuality and, and it was just really helpful for me to just stop. Is the language I'm using in some way impacting 
others, you know, and, and like the person said, unintentionally, right? So really trying to be open to like that feedback. But I think what, my, you know, sort of my, and my thoughts are that when I say a sexual being, I don't mean that somebody's having sex. I, I think of, I usually say someone is a sexual being from birth to death. So that might be a baby being held by their parent and they feel safe and trust and love and right. So they're a sexual being in that moment as they're developing, you know, is it, it could be a, someone going through puberty and their body is changing and be a sexual being that you're developing sexually. Um, less than discovering that they don't have uh, mm-hmm. sexual feeling, erotic sexual feelings and that they define themselves as asexual. Um, and maybe they want relationships and maybe they don't, but you know, that it's so what a sexual being is, is so different based on where they are in their development. And it's just so different for everybody. So, but, and <laughs> this person clearly didn't get that same meaning that I wanted them mm-hmm. to get about it. Right. So, so that's not, you know, that's not what I meant, but still I had, I could potentially have an impact. So it, it was a good, it's, you know, I feel like this is how we get better at being educators yeah. is hearing them and then thinking, okay, maybe that's not the right word because I could unintentionally mm-hmm. hurt someone. Maybe it is still the right word, but I need to, you know, say more around it so that people understand what I'm meaning mm-hmm. um, by so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's, it, it is. Um, and everybody's going to just, their lens is going to be a little bit different and shaped by whatever their experience is. So that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. And I want to hear that too. I want to hear the other lenses that I might not be thinking about. Right. I'm yeah. thinking about, okay. We got to make sure people think of people with disabilities as sexual people. Right. So let's, you know, but what about people who might not feel sexual or mm-hmm. feel or feel mm-hmm. asexual. And so on the, on the one hand, trying to dispel a myth and open up people's awareness and act, potentially accidentally washing somebody. Right. So, you know, we have a lot of parents in this community, obviously, and it, the, the, the communication is a struggle. And there's a lot of things that um, people struggle with, whether it's just starting a conversation, whether it's figuring out, you know, terminology, as we've talked about, you know, what are a couple of like top tips or maybe, you know, key things that you see in your work that parents are struggling with and, you know, your advice for parents to help them kind of level up their communication with their kids? Yeah, I mean, I think these are tips that I would give any parent um, as well. Uh, but I there was a study done years ago in Australia where they asked adolescents, um, do you talk to your parents about sexuality? And yes or no. And if they said yes, they asked the, the adolescents, what is it about your parents that makes you comfortable talking to them? And most of the responses had the word open or openness in that in their response, but that wasn't even prompted. Like people didn't say, are your parents open? And they said yes or no. The word just kind of came from them. So I'm always thinking like, how, how can you be open? Uh, and so that people feel like you're not going to judge them. Your children don't feel judged by you. They feel like you're there for them. You're open. Um, they titled the the study "Being Open with Your Mouth Shut." Um, <laughs> how, do you, 
you know, listen and encourage them to think things through themselves and be open to what they're thinking. And, and, and the other piece is to not react. Um, you know, I would say respond, don't react. Um, so if a child asks you a question that you don't assume that means anything, you just answer factually or what, where did you hear that? Or, you know, kind of keep the conversation going rather than stopping the conversation. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, um, I just wanted you know, pause and just say that's such a great tip because one thing I actually learned from, um, I mean, I think it's hard for parents not to fill the space. Like that's kind of what we do. We just kind of like, okay. And then if we're nervous, we keep talking. Right. But, um, <laughs> but one thing I actually, that really struck me, I learned from, I don't know if you know, Brad Kroger, but he's another educator and he's an advisor on some amazing content as well. And I heard him say, um, something like, listen, if your kids ask about something like, let's, here's a great example, porn. Like if they ask about it, it doesn't mean they're necessarily doing it or consuming it. They're just curious. And, you know, that's a real crucial distinction, I think, for in order for parents to remain open is to remember, okay, like even if they're asking about it, it just it could just be pure curiosity. Right. What about talking to, to young kids? So we, you know, we launched, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but like a series of video resources for parents of kid, kids ages four to nine. And um, it, it's been awesome. And then also we have gotten pushback, you know, kind of along the vein of, oh, I just want my kid to be a kid or, you know, why do I have to use real body part names? Like, I, this is ridiculous. And I think it's a lot of like people's own sort of upbringing and shame around all this stuff. But, you know, what would you, what would you advise parents, you know, of, of young kids who are feeling like, uh, you know, we, we don't need to do this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. what would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, I would probably say, you know, even from my own experience of my kids asking me questions and I had that same sort of reaction, like, okay, if I answer this, their, their innocence is shattered. It's over, you know, their childhood is over. Um, and then I answered the question just matter of factly. And, you know, my son went, oh, okay. And off he went, you know, and, and it was really me that was struggling mm-hmm. with content and not him and that it will not harm him in any way to have information, but we kind of think in some way it's going to harm them. Um, and, you know, as parents, we don't want our kids to grow up anyway. Right. So right. we on to them being young. Um, and this comes up a lot for people with disabilities um, in parenting, you know, parents of kids with disabilities um, sometimes see their child as a child, even when they're older mm. because of the disability. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's, it's understandable that parents feel that way, but it will not harm. And if anything, it, it protects young people um, from, you know, sexual abuse. I think it, I think it makes young people seem more powerful. And with this population, there's a high rate of sexual abuse. So yes. if someone says, don't touch my penis, that is going to be stronger than no, don't do that. Like it shows some education. It shows that parents have been talking to them, that they know things, that they're not as vulnerable um, when they know things. So I, I just think, you know, you're not going to get into all the nitty ditty, you know, de- details, gritty details, um, but just, you know, body parts, privacy, body image, reproduction um, are all topics that four to nine-year-olds can handle. And if they're asking the question, they're ready, you know, they're ready for the answer. Right. Right. So looping back, you know, you mentioned that um, I 
It was interesting to me when you said that parents of kids with disabilities, you know, they, there is that sort of feeling like you want to protect, they feel perhaps in your mind, like even more young, or you just want to protect them, which is understandable. So would you say in that case, you know, part of a, a parent, what a parent can do is kind of adjust their mindset from kind of like, oh, I need to protect, you know, my kid from this information to this information will help them protect themselves. Do you feel like that's like the tweak that people need to make? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So the worry is if I talk about this, something bad will happen. Um, yes. Rather than if I talk about this, it will help them protect themselves. I'm not going to be here forever. Um, how do I teach them about speaking up? And and this population too is, um, you know, often taught to comply. Um, mm. Necessarily with parents, um, but maybe support staff or something. You know, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do, and so you you go along with things. And the, the work I'm doing right now, um, teaching people with developmental disabilities, is a lot of it's around speaking up and saying, "This yes. is my body, and I get to decide what's right for me," um, because they're not used to that. And yeah, and I put a little pressure on, and I say. I'll give you $10 if you, you know, move your name tag over to this side. And oftentimes they start to move it, you know, and then saying, it's okay to say no to me, even mm -hmm. though I'm here. Um, and so I think a lot of those sorts of lessons. No, I think that's a great point. And that's, um, I mean, that is, that I think there's, that's, it sounds like a very specific thing that really needs to be worked on, you know, in that, in that particular community, but also just for kids in general, that whole speaking up, it, you know, is so yeah. crucial and is something that I know I work on with my children too. Yeah. Um, well, so, um, you know, just to close out, I would, at, at first I was going to ask you about general sex ed recommendations, like resources, your favorite things, which is fine. You, you could do that, but I, you know, given the line, your work and your expertise, um, I don't know if you have specific, you know, children's books or other kinds of resources that you really recommend, you know, in the lane of, um, you know, disabilities and sexuality, um, or if not, then general resources is fine. I just, I always love hearing from educators what, what resources they love. Great. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to toot my horn a little. I do love my curriculum. And yes. I also have um, two online courses, mm -hmm. um, one for staff people that work with people with developmental disabilities. So how do you talk one-on-one -on -one? and then a parent online course as well. And Wonderful. It's with disabilities. So I think those are useful. Um, and then uh, as far as other resources, I like to use um, stories about people with disabilities and their relationships, um, just because I think it just changes our perception and our and our stereotypes. And the two that I've been using lately, one is um, called Interabled Love, and it's a young man with a disability, a physical disability, and his partner is a female who's able-bodied. Mm -hmm. And you know the the stereotype, you know, within when they're together and they look, they feel like they're partners and all that. People assume she's his nurse or you know his sister, or, you know, sort of those things. So just it just makes us more aware of how we stereotype people. Um, so I like using that one. And, um, and also just broadens our idea about what a relation, you know, not everybody with a disability has a relationship with someone with a disability and broadens right. it um, And then the other one is a CNN love story. Mm -hmm. They have great love stories, the CNN, uh, it's Facebook. 
And um, there's one called Down for Love. And it's two people with Down syndrome that are in a relationship. Mm. And, and it interviews them and it shows their relationship. And the parents, both parents talk about the relationship. Um, and um, a professional who worked with the young man talks about their relationship. And I just think it gives us, I think sometimes, especially if we're sexuality educators and not in the field of disability, just gives us more awareness about disability culture. And, you know, a lot of people say that, they have said to me that when people adapt things for disability, sometimes the piece that's missing is that disability awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the Amaze uh, Sex and Disability or Sexuality and Disability video that it's often missing some of that, that, that community, the disability community, you know, some of those nuances. And um, so I think those are really useful tools for people um, just to see, and even for a parent to see a child with Down syndrome with another child with Down syndrome in a relationship and think, wow, you know, I, I was thinking this wasn't going to be possible. And, and look at this, it could actually be possible. Do you have any parting thoughts before we, I know we need to let you go, but this has been such a delight to talk to you today, Catherine. You too. No, I, I, I think, um, you know, just that sort of we're all in this together. None of us are really that good at this. <laughs> Having a child with a disability, um, sometimes it's just being a parent uh, that is what, what's hard about it. And, and I often say, you know, I've been in the field for 25 years and I don't have the greatest conversations with my own children sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a difficult topic to talk about. And I do remember bringing my son a book and he threw it across the room and said, I'm doing this, you know? So like, we're all doing the best we can and, and to just try to stay positive and notice, you know, some of our negative messages that we give our kids. And I'm always thinking like, what's the message I want to give here about this topic? If it's pornography, if it's, um, and share your values too. That's, that's what our job is as a parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, on that note, you know, this was so lovely. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for, uh, giving your, of yourself and your time and your professional, um, expertise and the, really the rally cry for parents that, you know, I, I think forgiveness and just kind of be kind to yourself. We're all just, ah, we're all just wading through it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To find more free educational resources from Amaze, including videos, book recommendations, conversational scripts, and more, visit amaze.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Amaze Parents, and on Twitter at Amaze.org. And we'd be so grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.